Let me show you how it's done. Well, well, welcome. You are listening to The Drop, Drop, a podcast on business, tech, and influence. I am one half of The Drop, Tam Dania, head of strategy. I lead insights and product. I focus on tech, in particular, solutions that solve real-world problems. And I'm here with... My name is B. Pagels Minor. My pronouns are they, them, theirs. I have been a product manager for over a decade at some of the world's most well-respected companies like Sprout Social, Apple, and Netflix. I've led teams that built important parts of the App Store, launched games at Netflix, built listening at Sprout Social. All in all, my DNA is fully being a product manager. What are we talking about? How to spot a scam. But added to that, what do you do when something's a scam, but it still is a public company? What do you do when something is a scam? And it's still a public. Or, is that a riddle? Or are you asking for advice? It's actually really interesting. So there's a couple of different things. So Robinhood comes to mind. I remember when we first started talking about this episode, we were talking about all of the crypto yeah. wallets that are failing. And so it was very easy because crypto wallets made sense because it's okay. These wallets were trying to give out up to 36% interest rate to people who became customers of theirs. And the first thing you and I both said is that's impossible, right? The the market conditions do not justify that type of interest rate. And then crypto is an unproven currency as of now, right? There's no way that you can go into McDonald's, for instance, and use crypto to just buy a Happy Meal. You can't just do that everywhere in this country or even in this world. And as a result, we, we were saying that there was always going to be that issue. But when we first had that conversation... Robinhood didn't hadn't announced that they were going to you know let go about a quarter of their staff, and that there were two primary things about that. So it was generally the market conditions, and they talked about crypto and losing some of their crypto value. But they also, when remember, I reached, I was like, but remember when GameStop happened? One of the things I thought was most interesting about that wasn't necessarily that folks were gaming the Robinhood system; it was the fact that Robinhood had to suspend trades, right? of certain stocks because their creditors, the people who give them credit, said that they weren't properly capitalized and they were too risky. And so that's something that's very interesting about that because if you go back to the crypto collapse, it essentially goes back to one firm. So one firm that was both loaning out funds to all these different crypto wallets and also was taking loans from those particular organizations. And so it comes back to this idea that perhaps it's not simply whether crypto or any type of new technology is a scam, it goes back to this, again, fundamental idea, which is, do you have the proper capitalization to be successful fiscally, right? Are you too risky? Because like ultimately, any startup, any company, if you can't, if, if you can't prove to banks and institutions mm-hmm. that you could be credit worthy, you're going to fail as well, because that's one of the chief ways that we've taught people to build their businesses. Isn't that what a scam is? Something that's too risky, but marketed as a great opportunity. I think that's where the scam playbook lies. There's the story of Robin Hood or these singular investors in crypto smacks in the face of being decentralized. What's decentralized when Coinbase, Voyager, sell, when these are the main, when Three Arrows cap was one of the biggest players when Sam Bankman-Fried is the biggest investor in there. 
what's so decentralized about that? Because you're within these very confined playgrounds. Just to level set on some context of things that are in the news, and I want to go into all the details. You're probably going to have to Google this for those that are listening. It's not really a news podcast, but the Terra Luna fail. This is a tether. This tether stabilized and caused a crash. There was Celsius, who was over leveraged in risky crypto investments. They filed for bankruptcy protection. They share attorneys with Voyager, who also filed for bankruptcy protection for very similar reasons. Three arrow, three arrows capital defaulted on loans made by Voyager. This is why Voyager crashed. Insider trading, someone just got picked up for that. Solana lost 190 million in a massive hack. Nomad claimed 200 million. Forsage, didn't hear of this one, but a decentralized smart contract platform accused of a 300 million dollar Ponzi scheme by the SEC. Then recently in the news, Jack Dorsey's Block, which is parent company to Square and Cash App, which has exposure to the Bitcoin markets, just reported a $36 million loss in Bitcoin in Q2. That's the news. And these are really large numbers. And I think people fail to realize that, yeah, some of these numbers are institutional investors that lost on their spread. Some of these are people with their life savings who were overconfident in the um, marketing of crypto opportunities. And others are people who maybe speculated didn't lose much. But there are real people that are attached to these activities as well. I just wanted to point that out. Yeah, and something that's so interesting and something that I really reflect on because you've asked me this question before and and the longer I've thought about it, the more clear this, it seems the picture has become. And you said, you know, is crypto marketing or is it an actual real product? It's a real currency. It's crypto tech or is it was the question. Exactly. And and, And the more I think about it, it's marketing. And primarily because like I started reading the letters, for instance, that many of these people who've lost, you know, their life savings, they've written into the judges in these bankruptcy courts. And it's like very fascinating because there's a few different things. So there's one thing, which is I feel like I was truly scammed because the CEO of Celsius was literally having YouTube lives up until the day they locked my account saying, we will never lock your account. These are your funds. And then in, in bankruptcy court, it specifically says you essentially are loaning us these funds. So if there ever becomes a time where there's a bankruptcy, BTW, you've loaned it to us. Like we, and you didn't ask us to back it up with any collateral. So it's just, it's your loss. And I thought that was like very interesting because this is a very dynamic speaker, dynamic human whose pure presence gave this person the confidence to continue to, to keep his life savings in that account, when even in reality, he's looking at what's going on. He's looking, he's like, these things feel a little, and still he's like, this person, this person said that, and even on the website. So there's a couple different people who mentioned on the website, it was still saying, come bring your account over to Celsius and you can get 19% returns. And it was talking about this like bait and switch mechanism. And I would say the same thing for Voyager. So for instance, for full disclosure, I was a Voyager customer. Thank goodness I took all my money, pretty much all my money. I left like a little change in there because I was like, I was, I'm curious. I am a risk taker, as we've talked about many times, Sam. I'm much more of a risk taker in some ways than, than other folks. And Voyager, again, I was a customer. I remember even once they locked down accounts, you could still see the little taglines about what interest rates you could get. 
And so, What's it, so it was saying do USDC. It was saying if you bring your funds over, you can get Voyager credit. It was still advertising their Voyager debit card, which by the way, when a organization that again is supposed to be like anti-traditional markets decides mm-hmm. you need, they want you to give you a debit card and you're going to get points for your debit card. That doesn't make sense. What are you doing? Like, why are you trying to be a part of more of my life? You're just supposed what? to be this organization. I don't Amazon, know. I it like the Amazon and Apple play. I want to get you to the ecosystem. I get why they want you in their life. They want you to hand over their money. What was the interest rate that they were uh, promising still? What are they promising? So for theirs, they, they had all their st- standard interest rates there. So I think the highest interest rate was maybe... For their Voyager token, I, I want to say it's maybe like in the double digits, but like their USDC was 9%. And then a lot of the other ones were like 1%, 2%, 3%. Because each one of the different cryptocurrencies, like each one of the coins had their own thing. And it was really interesting because for many customers, and, and again, for many people, they were able to maintain that. Like you were getting those deposits each month, even as it's very clear this default was happening. So they were still advertising to individuals, bringing people in, even though there were already reports of the imminent collapse, because it was very obvious that this one is going down. So then this other one over here is going to go down as well. And so again, I finally have a clear answer to your question. Because I'm like, if it, yeah, I think it's marketing now. There's no question in the current state. Because I've told you, like, I do believe that there's an interesting idea. There's an interesting concept about crypto, right? And it's not useful necessarily for Folks like us who are in the United States or folks who are in Western Europe or Australia, the folks that are in countries that have very stable currency. And I should say stability is relative, right? Like it is relative no matter who you are, because to me, stability is it doesn't drop 5%, 10%, 20% in a day commonly, right? For us, someone else dropping 1% could be too much. So I think that there's like always that little bit of variability there. But if you're in a country like Venezuela, for instance, where with the, the political upheaval that has occurred there, where it's been very difficult for currency to have any type of value from day to day, I can see how some a, a decentralized market like a cryptocurrency could be very useful. Oh, no. Listen, I would challenge that. I, I think that the U.S. hype around crypto, as you said, we and, and I think we're speaking individually. I don't think there are individuals that would side with the idea that they can stomach a downturn in crypto. They were overexposed. But if the U.S. is a leader in innovation and other countries are looking to us, we've deluded them. Uh, look at the reference of El Salvador, who is at risk of default because of their overexposure to crypto. Double down on his crypto holdings because he doesn't want to look like a failure. And the people are suffering for that. So I, I don't think yeah. that there it, it, it's not good in one geographic location. It's an excellent idea in another. I do think that crypto is good for a certain kind of people or certain kinds of things that you're playing around in. I want to say that one thing I would say is that it's not that I'm not an early adopter or, or I'm not a risk taker. I'm absolutely a risk taker. I just these are not the kind where I'm from. We don't do things like this give money to anonymous hustlemen. And that's exactly what was going on. This had all the markings of a hustleman. Hearing things like 18%, these are loan shark numbers. And where I'm from, you might give your money to a loan shark knowing this is a hustleman, but at least you know who the hustleman is. I know who to come after if that thing comes missing. This idea of 
hey, bro, cool website, hold my money, is something that I would never get into, which is essentially what Voyager is. In the eyes of the law, this is not a bank. Even though they operated like a bank, it was not FDIC insured. There was no assurance that you were going to be getting any return. This is essentially hustle man on the internet. And in the eyes of the law, that's exactly what they're going to look at these cases. What's so interesting about that is, is I say yes and no. So what's really interesting about the law, right? This yeah. society is that the law usually has to evolve to meet society's needs. And so this is going to be a very interesting point, right? Because there's so much of an outcry that legislators may literally legislate. There might be actual agreement for once, like amongst yeah. everyone, that there has to be a law here. And so that's the thing that's like very fascinating about all of this is that the absolute failure. Like, so back, I think it's going to, I think it's going to happen. I think it's going to happen because imagine if you are someone, especially if you're running for election in a, a state or city or like in one of those places that really was gung-ho about it, where the mayor got up there and said, we're going to be a crypto city. And then all of this went down. How are you going to get reelected if you don't say, we're going to pass laws, so this is never going to happen again. So I just feel this is, but it, so it goes back to this general idea that we keep coming, that we talk about a lot on this, the podcast though is that there's like business fundamentals that were just missing. Because again, we've talked about the fact that there's a danger in VCs being able to write blank checks to mm -hmm. different companies. There's a danger in banks writing blank checks to different companies. You look at the idea, you go, I think that's a good idea. Let me give you millions or potentially even billions of dollars to develop this idea without thinking through how do we actually sustain this? And this is something that you talk about in your product market fit philosophy, right? Because your product market fit philosophy, which differs a little bit from mine, includes this idea of how can we build this profitably? And so in all of these examples, the strategy was let's do as, let's borrow as much money, let's spend as much money as it takes to get these people in here and we'll figure it out later. And if someone had stopped for one second and said, but we've created this very intricate system that is not deregulated. Well, I should clarify. It is technically deregulated, but it's not decentralized. And as a result, we can't survive if there's any true large fluctuations in our market. I would argue that this was not like a product market fit in search of that they were failing fast in order to get to. This is more of a Theranos. Mathematically, you are not paying people 18%. You are not yielding that on their holdings. When you use marketing gambits, hey, Celsius developed a feature called HODL, H-O-D-L, that it was a mechanism to capitalize on this idea like we're not going to sell and would force people to hold their holdings into the Celsius accounts. That's not product market fit searching. That's more like I need to hold your funds because I'm using it to pay other people. There's a mathematical to we're going to return 36% or 18% on your money. That's not, that's, this is usury at this point. Right? Boy, so just to be clear, because I, I just want to make sure I understand how this future worked. So with this particular future, you had to opt into it or was it just automatically there? No, it was an opt-in, but it was promoted like this to toggle. I want to unlock, like, you know, Robin Hood gamifies. So there's this gamification that's going on. And when I look at what crypto is, when I was trying to understand crypto, talking about, I'm not an early adopter, but I am, I do watch everything. Mm -hmm. 
And especially something that's coming in the tech space, I need to know about it. The question comes up, is this tech or is marketing? But before that question, the biggest question to me is, what is this? And I would come across stories of bodegas in New York swapping out lottery machines for crypto machines. And I'm saying, why would a bodega owner who's getting passive income on lottery machines switch to a Bitcoin machine? Why am I seeing Bitcoin sold at gas stations? This is like a casino, right? So that was the one category that I put it in. And then I'm seeing this kind of promotional influencer aspect to it as well. They're paying celebrities. Some, I don't remember which firm it was that invested in being a sponsor for the Nationals, a baseball team, FTX Arena, there's the crypto arena. There are all these very performative marketing tactics it's very familiar with that's not tech, Mm -hmm. that's marketing. So there's that category. So crypto takes on a lot of personalities of other industries, of which are currencies. By definition, Mm -hmm not a currency. So if I were to, if you were to ask me like, what's going to happen, these lawsuits that are happening, the, the, the bankruptcy filings that are going on with Celsius and Voyager, I don't have hopes. And I don't know if I have high hopes for regulation to happen immediately. Congress is a little bit distracted. While the industry, the crypto industry lost several billions of dollars, and that may be hugely impactful to individuals, this does not reverberate into the larger or broader economic system or the financial system. And so I don't think immediately you're going to see the kind of response we saw in the financial crash in 2008 when that kind of exposure hit across America, right? This is still isolated. So I don't know if you're going to get some congressman or some governor who's going to make their name off of regulations on crypto. Not just yet. It's going to take a couple more grannies to get their life savings wiped out before somebody wants to make their name on this. Or it's going to take a whole lot of activism from the crypto community. It's not going to be without great expense. But I also believe that if regulation does come, it is the end for crypto as we know it today. What's so interesting about what you just said here? I, th- I feel like there's a couple of things here that I think are very fascinating. So first and foremost, one of the things you mentioned was like you were seeing some of the principles that were in other industry, like in other products being applied to this. And so there's something there, I think, to this idea that there are just certain things that just don't work across certain industries, especially from a regulatory and compliance perspective. You can't just gamify finance. You can't just gamify healthcare, for instance. Like there has to be some, you know, what like you have a different you have a different responsibility as a company, as a product team, as a sales. Like there's a different responsibility, I think, when it comes to these different things because. To the point, like I'm literally imagining the American Greed episode for Celsius because there's going to be an American oh, Greed episode happen. for Celsius. Oh, I can't and, wait. And they're going to have all of these sweet ladies. There's one of the letters I, I read or, or I read about was from a woman who is on Social Security. And she was just so enamored with the returns that they had talked about that she decided to take the risk because she wanted to stretch her Social Security check. But then because it went under, she literally doesn't have a way to get those funds out. And so she can't pay her bills. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, I'm just imagining this woman, right, in her, like, small, decrepit house that she could barely afford with, like, her shawl on, eating out of a can, because that's what this letter makes you feel like. And I'm just like, that story, again, I agree, like, I agree to an extent, yeah, it it won't necessarily happen tomorrow, but I think it is something that's going to happen because that lady... On, the, on a campaign ad, 
Oh my gosh. Like, why would you not want to do that? So again, the first thing that she said here that was very interesting is this idea that it, it made me think that there's just certain principles for growth, right? Because this is about, this is the growth strategy, right? Like you want to make something so sticky that people continue to be in your ecosystem no matter what. And what's really interesting about that is that you mentioned Square and the fact that Square had exposure to Bitcoin. So they did have, they did post some loss about Bitcoin, but as generally Square is doing well, generally Cash App is doing well. And it's fascinating because I, I, I think they're interesting, Block in general is an interesting part of this puzzle because they were one of the first ones who were thought about in, in terms of changing up how FinTech operates. And what's really interesting to me about that is that cryptocurrency is this idea that you can be free you can have you can know exactly how 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 many many funds are there how much value those funds should have there is no risk there whatsoever i would argue especially i think like the two of us both come from areas of the country where folks weren't affluent they didn't have you know most of the people i knew growing up didn't even have bank accounts because maybe at some point they defaulted on a bank account and and as a result of that they didn't have the access to bank accounts. And so they would go to the corner store, for instance, and, and cash uh-huh. their check and, you, and lose a large percentage of their check. And Square and Cash App, Cash App especially when it came out, and it was like, whoa, you can put your check on there. They don't take any of it out. And you can just do all of your transactions and you can have an account that's, that feels just like a normal bank account. It really it was a game changer for a lot of people. And what's so interesting about that is, is that is actually being helpful to society. And so if you're if you're in an industry that is complicated like finance, if you're not on the the, the cash app, I am truly unlocking and democratizing something. Chances are you might be a scam, honestly, because we already have a great financial system in the United States. So if you're not going to make it give it more access to to typical funds to people, chances are you're actually probably not being helpful. So here's the thing, though. I don't believe that regulation is going to come and save the crypto community because Mm -hmm. all it needs is a couple more scams and then it will decrease the desirability of crypto and there will be no need for it. The regulations that we have, let's go back to 2008 and the financial crash and all the regulations that happened, Dodds Act, Consumer Protection the reason why your credit card statements to list if you only pay the minimum amount per month, this is how long it's going to take you, and this is how much it's going to cost you. The reason why that transparency is there because of what happened in the financial crash. But that was something reverberated throughout the entire global economy. It was necessary to do that. The only reason why I'm doing this episode about crypto is because I get a lot of questions from friends that are not in tech about what do I think about crypto, this question. I don't want to talk about crypto, but the next time I get this question, what do I think about crypto? How does the law view crypto? These are essentially Pokemon cards. These are not financial instruments. These are not securities. They're not even viewed as commodities. Does it matter what they say? These are marketing terms. Cryptocurrency is not a currency. It's a store value. No, it's not, right? It doesn't behave like any of those things. And the law doesn't look at it that way. What the law is saying is essentially the same way we treated Pokemon cards, the way we treated the troll dolls or the Beanie Man babies or the sneaker community. You're essentially saying like if these were sneakers and you were trading Jordans, would you then have a recourse in the eyes of the law and say that these people stole my money? The answer is, I believe no. If you're going to reverse that opinion, it will be at great expense. Will the law come in and say, okay, let's put some regulations around these 
marketing terms, perhaps. But I also think enough of these hacks and enough of these scams getting exposed will decrease the desirability of it so much that people won't want it anymore. And actually, what's really interesting about what you said, so in my role at Apple, especially, I helped build the infrastructure for App Store Connect. And one of the things that just comes up when you're dealing with App Store Connect is fraud, right? One of the most, like the biggest value add, actually, this came out in the lawsuit against you know, with Epic, right? The, one of the biggest value adds of the App Store is that when you make a purchase on the App Store, that is a true app or game. And there's it's not a scam. They're not going to steal your information. And then it's completely secure. So protecting against fraudulent actors is one of the biggest things that you can do is a member or part of the App Store team. And so I think that's interesting because the thing about this is the sneakers, you don't have a recourse on your sneakers until you can prove fraud. Like until mm-hmm. you can prove that person actively chose to actively try to defraud you. And so the same mm-hmm. thing with this technology, right? And so that's what's gonna be very fascinating because true, it may not be that there is a uh, new regulation immediately. And in fact, it might not even be regulation so much as cryptocurrency can't exist. It might be more regulation of you have to have certain capitalization in order to mm-hmm. be in the fintech space. And that's not a bad thing because we go back to the Robinhood example. Robinhood is a company that has existed for a while that is a legitimate stock trading platform. And it had a great reputation until recent years. And But again, it probably wasn't set up in such a way that it could withstand typical trading. Like it couldn't, it couldn't withstand it. And so if that someone had taken a step back in Robinhood and said, how much, how many transactions do we actually think are going to occur? And then let's double that to start modeling out what we need from a credit facility. And then at the very beginning, speaking from with my product hat, you could have told people, we're going to, when we get to this number of transactions or this amount of transactions and this amount, we do have to pause transactions on our platform. And so they wouldn't have lost the trust that they lost when people are like, I can't believe you won't let me trade. Like I thought Robinhood was going to just, you're going to let me do whatever the heck I want to do. You're going to let me do stock trading for the cheap. So I become rich, but no, you just lied to me because you stopped me from doing trades. And so that goes back to this like very simple idea. It's like, how do you maintain trust when you are potentially a legitimate enterprise, but you don't plan effectively for the growth that you've decided to spur by gamifying in an industry that is much more difficult to control. Here's a prediction. You've been talking a lot. You think that regulation is going to come and save the day for crypto. It's going to bring some regulation. It's going to clean out the bad guys and all of that. There was a time when I thought that as well. I'm a bit short on that. Mm -hmm. I don't think these kinds of scams have been going on forever. There's never been regulation around it. I do not believe that the the government's going going to save the day in the way that people hope. But I also think that if it does, it will change the way crypto operates and that may change the players as well. Here's a question, here's a prediction. Um, Block is a publicly traded company. Their sole purpose is to return value to its shareholders. And it lost $36 million in Bitcoin in Q2. Will its stock drop 5% on that? Will its shareholders pressure Jack Dorsey to exit Bitcoin? Is that one way we're gonna see the death of crypto when publicly traded companies are implored to not expose themselves to things this risky. I think that 
this actually might be a good thing because I do think that let's say if crypto is going to survive in some, so that, so, so it's going to, it's going to survive in some form. And one of the things that people have always said is that if it has any hope of surviving is that it has to become more efficient, less environmentally negative, all those different types of things. And so that might be whatever crypto comes out, the one that survives might be the one that actually starts to like really solve that. I'm going to say that if crypto uh, or Bitcoin specifically continues to be a loss for block, either he, if he doesn't make the decision himself to divest in it, the, the boards will be calling for his dismissal like they did at Twitter. Oh. Well, and, we're, and we know that Elon Musk can't come in and buy it. So <laughs> what do you think he'd offer? Soon? 420? And who knows? I don't know what he would offer. I just know that he can't afford it. So it's a whole thing. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to the Drops Podcast. We love having you. We love your feedback. Please do connect with us across social media. We are the Drops Podcast on Facebook, Twitter, and TikTok. And we also have a great email, thedropspodcast at gmail.com. You can send in any questions that you have, and we definitely would love to answer them on the podcast. Feel free to ask just about anything because we have experienced a ton of different things. Again, thank you so much for listening to the Drops Podcast.